let's take the time to unpack that and understand where your sales come from and let's build out those proper sales funnels or those proper uh, pieces of information on those channels to bring you more or raise your profile or just create brand awareness. Everybody has different needs. You're listening to Real Marketing Real Fast, the only podcast that brings you unfiltered, undaunted, insider information on the latest tools and technologies for online marketers. Prepare to dive deep into marketing myths, breakthrough models, and cutting-edge strategies that will have an immediate impact on the growth of your business. And now, here's your host, marketing expert, Doug Morneau. Well, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today in studio, I've got joining me a fellow marketing agency owner, Marty McDonald. He is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Bad Rhino, which is a full service social media marketing agency. When I first talked to Marty, he said he starts with social and then will help his clients integrate that to their overall sales and marketing plan and strategy moving forward. Since uh, about 2002, Marty's consulted with uh, small businesses, startups, um, and many other businesses to help them succeed online. Bad Rhino is a full service social media agency. It's a digital agency that was, that was founded in 2011. And today their services, uh, they service clients locally, nationally, and globally. Marty is also a podcaster and he is an author. And the uh, the name of his podcast is Taps and Tees, which uh, you'll be able to uh, check out in the show notes. And uh, the book he's written as an author is Great a Beer is Not Enough. One of the reasons that uh, he said Bad Rhino has grown to be so successful so quickly is due to their ability to develop truly unique and highly customizable strategies that create a really incredible exposure for their clients and businesses. So their full service approach means that they not only create these amazing strategies and plans, but they also stick around to help implement them, manage them day to day. And uh, that includes delivering messages to or messaging to their customers. So I'd like to welcome uh, Marty McDonald to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. Hey, Marty, super excited to have you on the podcast today. So welcome to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast. Hey, Doug, great to be here. I appreciate it and looking forward to it. I really love talking all things marketing and it's great to talk to a fellow digital marketer, podcaster and author. So I'm looking forward to having a conversation and just helping our listeners understand a little bit more about what you do and your focus. So when we started talking before recording, I said, hey, what's kind of your superpower? And you said, I, you know, I help people with social. We kind of lead with that. So why don't we just lead with that now and just kind of walk us through the process of, you know, what that means for you guys and what that typically means for your clients. Absolutely. And uh, thanks again, Doug, for having me on. We, um, we know Bad Rhino is a social media marketing agency. Uh, we founded it in uh, at the end of 2010. So we're actually entering into our 10th year. I've been. Well, congrats. Thank you. I've been playing around in marketing and digital marketing, especially uh, since 2002. So a lot of times I feel like a dinosaur when I talk about the old stuff. <laughs> but it was also a good foundation for an education, you know, you learn to code and you get to create all these things. And now you see the evolution. And, you know, in 10 years with Bad Rhino, you started off with just social media and it's evolved into a full service digital agency where, you know, you're doing a little bit of everything. And that's just what, you know, our clients had demanded. And, you know, we started delivering that because the internet and social media kind of morphed together. And that's been the way we've approached everything is for full service custom solutions for our clients, whether they're large or small, and give them what they need and not try and, 
you know, focus in on one or two areas just to make it look good, but take a look at their marketing holistically and where digital fits in, create that plan and get them results. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I've often said that if you're, if, you know, if there's one tactic that you sell, so I tell people I'm tactic agnostic because if I only sell one solution, then obviously that's the answer to every question my client has <laughs> opposed to finding out what, what's the best fit for them to move the sales dial or grow their business. Absolutely. And that's one of the things you have to focus in on, right? You have to take a look at what's working for them. I Sometimes people come to you and they're so enamored with whatever that new shiny object is. And for <laughs> yeah. years it was, you know, Facebook and then became various other smaller channels and then it became something else and then became something else. And you would have people come to us and the first question I would ask them was like, well, what's working for you now? And they're like, wow, we run this amazing direct mail postcard campaign that, you know, attributes like 85% of our revenue. And I'll turn around and say to them, well, instead of maybe branching into digital, why don't you just scale up that direct you know, mail campaign a little bit more <laughs> and spend, you know, if you're spending 100000 on it, maybe you spend 150000 on it. And they're kind of like they stopped it in their tracks because if it's working and it's generating revenue and you're getting an ROI from it, you know, who am I to tell you to move away from it, right? Those things still work. It's just getting that, the message into the right hands. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess the other side too is often people try to do everything. They want to be on every platform and have a presence everywhere. And that, well, yeah, I'll just let let you respond to that. Sure. No, and there, there's a spot for that though too. I mean, I think being in all those places is really smart. Like you shouldn't just put everything in one spot. That's not what I'm saying. Should you be everywhere with like loads of content and things of that nature? No, not necessarily. But should you have you know make sure your Google your Google business page is set up properly. Make sure you have a Facebook page. Leaving it dormant isn't necessarily the answer, but also too, like we said, we just said, if you have other things that are working, just make sure people can find you. And I think that's like step one, but people overcomplicate it sometimes and thinking they have to do everything like you just said, just figure out where it fits into that marketing wheel and then start to build out those things. Sometimes you can do it fast and sometimes you need to. Other times you can just you know do a little bit more slowly because other things are working for you and business is good. So when you say you lead with social, what does that look like? So if you're if you're talking, you know, talking to your audience, they're going, okay, so what does that look like? I have a LinkedIn profile and I have a Facebook page. Sure. You know, where do you go beyond that? Yeah. So I think when we say lead with social, that's where we started. That's where we won, you know, the majority of our awards in social media. I mean, we were doing social media marketing before there was an ad platform on Facebook, you know, like, it, you know, it's different 10 years ago. I mean, completely different. Uh, when you look at screenshots of what it looked like back then, you kind of go, whoa, right? So when we say lead with social, that's where we started. So our agency leads with social media. We have our hands in a lot of different things and we know and our team knows how it works and how to make it work for a client. So, but those things are, again, going back to what we just talk, spoke about a few seconds ago, those things should fit into your marketing, right? You're not going to go 100% and say, okay, now I, I'm just going to sell on LinkedIn and do social selling. You, you know, you have to build those things. So what's the plan? Like, let's plan for this. Let's work on this. Because sometimes people still think, even though it's 2020, uh, they think the internet's magic. You know, like, oh, I'm going to get all the leads and all the sales <laughs> all at once. And you and I both know as you laugh there, you know, that's not the case. You have to build it out. You have to plan. There's content pieces. What do you want these people to do when they see your information? What's the call to action? 
how do we get them in the place where you can buy them? So we start off with everything in like all but one of our clients, you know, we do social for in one way, shape or form, either consulting or actually create it and push it all out there. So when I say lead with social is that's how our agency is. But going back to the other point, you know, we don't want to be just, oh, you should be on social media because we said so. Well, let's look at what a good solution is for you. Let's take the time to unpack that and understand where your sales come from. And let's build out those proper sales funnels or those proper uh, pieces of information on those channels to bring you more or raise your profile or just create brand awareness. Everybody has different needs. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm still a big fan of direct mail. Um, Me too. It's the best. Because it, because it works. <laughs> so, you know, and now looking at technology, you know, coming along with with intentional direct mail, the ability to send a send a, a card or a note to someone who visits your website. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting how the technology is evolving. I mean, people thought direct mail is dead. Now we've got technology that's that's enabling it with our website, whether you're using pearls or you're using intentional direct sure. mail. And who knows what the future holds? It's going to be a lot different than it is today, for sure. I love you dropping the personal URLs in there, right? You know. It was funny as we were just having a conversation with that with one of my friends uh, who's also in marketing. And he's like, you know, every time somebody thinks something is quote unquote dead, he's like, that's when I start to go and take a look at it and, and resuscitate it. Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan, uh, especially in e-commerce of email and people like they'll say, well, we don't want to like hound the people, you know, we don't want to have like, you know, these constant emails. And I was like, well, Dick Sporting Goods here sends me an email about, you know, what it feels like about twice an hour, but it's all with relevant information for me. Like I'm a big golfer. Yeah. So when golf season comes around, they're sending me sales to that or they have a clearance sale and it's all tailored towards me and my previous purchases. Now that's way more advanced than what a lot of e-commerce has. But if they're sending, you know, six, seven emails a week, like, don't you think you should, you know, like what's the harm in that? Right. Yeah, right. Now yeah. you might not have a product that has multi or multi products in your store, but at the same time, like following that, they do that for a reason because, Oh, I don't know. It works. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I was interviewing a guest and uh, she's the email deliverability person for a, an organization called change.org. Okay. Yeah. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. And, you know, so we're talking about email and this email work and she's saying, yeah, we do 300 million emails. Oh. So she, yeah, they're big, they're a big fan of email. She goes, you know, and it's all for social, social good is the, is the whole premise behind that. So right. um, yeah, it, it's, it's not dead and, and frequency to your point. I mean, if it's relevant, we're interested and we got into the conversation around segmentation and segmenting your list for people who respond and to your point, what you're interested in, you're interested in golf. So I could probably send you knowing a little bit of just a little bit of your background. We could talk about golf and craft beer a lot. And there's probably a lot of other topics that you'd be just happy to get some information once a month. Yeah, absolutely. 100% correct. So looking at the landscape today, you know, is there a, a client uh, example that you want to share with us? Maybe give somebody a shout out of how you help them kind of transform this, you know, where they were to where they are today and name them or not name them. That's totally up to you. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I never name clients without their permission. Um, but I'll give you one really, it's a very recent example. And it's uh, something I think is relevant to anybody out there that's running paid ads. doesn't matter the platform is um, this one is Google, but they have a budget that they're spending right now of $50,000 a month. And the ROI that they're getting on the face wasn't awful. They were getting about like 
2.75-ish to one. So for every dollar they're spending, they're getting 275 back. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't awful, but they were just kind of coasting along. And they brought in somebody to oversee all their marketing, right? It's an e-commerce brand. They have uh, different products for different things. Some of it's sportswear. Some of it is for post-surgery, you know, compression things. And the interesting part about it is when talking with them and once somebody brings up like, oh, we want to bring in a new agency, it's like sends off sirens in my head. Like, oh man, here we go. Like, what's the issue? Because most times that I find when people want to switch agencies, it's a huge communication and I'm not knocking clients, but it's just sometimes they're not getting their point across or they don't understand. So you have to, I always spend more time with that type of potential client or my team does to understand where they're coming from because you need to understand that, right? Yep. So they're telling me, and you're looking on the face like number wise, and that's not their main thing. Like their main thing isn't necessarily e-commerce at this point, but they want to grow it. They know that's where they want to take the company. So the whole point here in telling you like what we did or what we started to do and, and we're continuing to do is once we dove in there, you know, you see a lot of things. Now they with an agency for over well over a year, uh, I think close to two actually. And like I said, when you see the reports, the numbers don't look bad on the face. You know, it's like 2.75 to one. They want to be closer to four and for that type of brand and that type of traffic and everything else that they are in the marketplace, you know, that's not only doable, but that's a, a realistic goal. They're not trying to get 10 to one, 20 to one, that type of stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. So they're looking four to one. And, you know, they were talking about low hanging fruit that, the other agency wasn't listening to them. Like, why aren't we doing remarketing? Why aren't we doing these things that are sitting out there? Why aren't we doing these things that are, you know, seem pretty simple? So we started to, to look at it. And the most interesting thing is that, and this is what I'm saying where the, the point is. So if you're a business owner and you're running paid ads and you have somebody else doing it and your reports look good, you want to make sure that you have something in there that works out really well, that you're diving in there a little bit deeper, right? Because on the face, like I said, the numbers look perfect. But then we got in there and they were spending 25,000 was converting. The other 25,000 was basically fluff, right? And it's like, well, where's this fluff coming from? They basically said it and forget it. That was the weirdest part was you have a client that's spending 50,000, so $600,000 a year, which is a big chunk of change they're getting decent results because they see it and they also see the revenue coming in but they're never really dove deep into what was actually happening so we saw all these non-performing ads you see all these other things that were going on that just weren't working and in one week you know we didn't get them right to the magic number but we cut their ad spend down with the same results down to close to 30 but with the same exact results. So they save 20 grand right off the bat that we can just use to scale back up. So right then and there, you know, the, the lesson here is if things are just going smoothly, you know, and you like the numbers, you know, sometimes you don't want to upset the apple cart, but the algorithms on all these things change so much that you really have to sit there and pay attention to this day in and day out. You can't set it and forget it, even though on the face it looks good. So that's been like one of the eye-opening things. We do that all the time. But this one was just so extreme that I was just like, whoa, like, yeah, you guys are worried about remarketing and all that, but, and all these other things you want to add in with YouTube and tons of other things, but 
right here on the face is just, this is just broken right here. So that was like the first like three days. And, you know, a month later, they were like, wow, we can't believe we were just wasting that much money. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, I'm working with uh, on a project right now where I said I want to introduce this, this ad uh, attribution software because they're working with two different agencies. Mm-hmm. And um, so, well, why would you want to do that? I said, well, exactly to your point, we don't, we can't attribute your conversions, your sales to, to the right agency and the right ads, the way that you're currently running. You're just getting this high level view, which looks good because you're generating leads, but there's going to be, um, there's going to be a hole in the bucket someplace. Yeah. And we need to find the hole and plug it. And there's a lot more technical stuff, you know, that I could mention, but the interesting part about it at a very, and this happens more and more recently with us where we're called in and somebody on my team starts to unpack it. And I'm very direct, you know, we have like, you know, I know it's such a, you know, hackneyed expression, but no BS, like, but it's true. Like I'm very, you know, if we find something and, and I say, Hey, we, we can't fix that. I'll tell you, or I'll say, Hey, you know, you're not going to do much better than this. You know, when we do our discovery, you know, you may want to just keep the agency you have, or you might want to do this, but it's happening more and more. And I think it's an interesting thing for people just to understand that if you're sitting out there and you're listening to this and you think everything is really good, you might want to have a third party, just take a look at it. And there's no harm in that because once you do see those little holes, because things have changed dramatically in the last 14 months. And I feel like a broken record always saying that, like every year I'll do an interview <laughs> or speaking from stage and it's like the changes are coming so fast. Yeah. But this past year, you know, like end of 2018 through 2019, now early 2020, it's been dramatic in certain things that on Google and Facebook. And if you haven't really taken a look at it and you're still happier with your results, you might want to tweak it a little bit and be even more happy with your results. So that's all I'm really saying there, but I think it's important. Well, and like you said, sometimes to audit, I mean, I've done that in the email space because I've bought so much sponsored email over the years, like in the tens of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just come in as a third party, say, hey, let's let us as a non-interested party just vet the vendors that you're using and make sure that they're giving you what you've contracted them for yeah. and we'll report it back. And I don't have a vested interest because I'm not the, I'm not going to name the brands, but I'm not X brand newspaper. I'm just reporting to you if they're delivering what they promised. Absolutely. And that's really the the thing that you see is, like I said, it, it changes so much. But at the same time, when you enter into that and say you've worked with somebody for four or five years, ourselves included, like it's really been an eye opening thing to make sure that we're constantly auditing what we're doing for clients and making sure that you're doing the right things because you do get into that complacency thing. And that's why I said I didn't want to you know, knock that other agency and why those sirens went off when they said, hey, we want to look at a new agency because, you know, those things do change. And if you're getting good results, you're just like, all right, let's just let it go. Don't touch it. Don't want to screw it up. We're getting the money coming in. Everything is good, right? We're hitting our numbers. Yep. But a lot of times, optimize it just like you said to make sure that they're still giving you what you promised two, three, four, five, ten 5, 10 years ago. Well, and sometimes, I mean, to, to be to be perfectly honest, you see the no BS approach, sometimes the client's the problem. Yes. So, hey, we want to change <laughs> agencies. So, so, okay, so I'm the new guy and you show up and then you say, this is the this is the recommended strategy. And they're going, no, no, I want to do this. It's like, okay, now I know why the last agent you couldn't get your results because you're driving the strategy and clearly you're off base. 
Right. Great. So you want me to come in and get punched in the face all the time. Okay. <laughs> sounds good. Where do I sign? Yeah. And then a year later, I'll be the guy out and you'll be bringing somebody else in. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's very true. So that's a great way to segue into, you know, how do you, you know, find, identify and work with an agency and have that, uh, that win-win relationship. Yeah. That's um, something that I've been speaking about a lot. And my, our whole thing, Rich and I, when we started Bad Rhino, like I said, I had been doing this type of work on the side. It was a hobby that became a well-paying hobby that became a side gig that was matching my salary. Then it became our agency. And a lot of times working with the smaller clients that, you know, professionals, lawyers, doctors, they were essentially had low you know, admin and they were professionals and they were trying to either sell their businesses or move ahead and, and doing those things in terms of, you know, going into retirement or passing their practice onto their kids. And they didn't have any of the technical stuff set up. Some of them barely had a website and that's where I cut my teeth. But to your point, having that approach has always been educational. And when we started Bad Rhino, the whole tenant was anybody that talks to us, Anybody that we engage with, I just want them to leave with a little bit more knowledge. You know, yes, it's part of a sales process. Yes, they're coming to us for a certain thing. Yes, they're asking some questions, but are they actually asking the right questions? Or are they just trying to tick off a box that, hey, we need an agency to do certain things? So we've always had the education approach so that if they hired us, great, and it was a good fit. If they didn't, they were at least more educated on how to select an agency that was right for them or how to select somebody to do that work for them. So when we start that process, that's how we go into it. And it's always like sometimes you have to slow down that sale, right? They're like eager. It sounds good. We like what we're hearing. It's in an industry that we know. It's like, okay, let's just close this and get started, right? But by slowing it down and having them you know, walking them through, okay, well, well, tell me about your average cost per sale. And then it's like, well, what do you mean? You know, it's like, <laughs> well, how much does it cost you to attain a client? And they're like, uh, yeah, I don't know that. And then you start to unpack sure. those things, you know, it, and that part of it is where you determine whether they're a good fit. You know, it, it very rarely happens where somebody goes, yeah, I can send you all that information, you know, when I get off the phone with you and you're like, whoa, you actually have it. And it's actually right. And it's like, so it doesn't happen that often. And what you realize is, you know, sometimes marketing becomes that sales band-aid. And that's why marketing and sales fight all the time because sales is expecting people to come in already ready to buy and marketing is going to sales like, hey, that just doesn't happen in five minutes and you guys want this done. And then they wind up just going, well, we need to bring somebody in to help fix this. And you fix the wrong problems. Like, sure, we can run your ads for you. But if you're broken on the inside, you're still going to be you know, a mess if we just do this for you. Like, it's not going to give you what you want. So you have to uncover that because that's how you really create that win-win. And if your agency or the person you're talking to isn't asking those questions, that's going to be a cautious thing. And if you're sitting there as a business owner thinking of hiring an agency, what I'm saying is make sure you have some of this and understand how smooth or how rocky your sales process is so that you can really put marketing pieces out there that can bring you bring it in. And if it's smooth, then it should just go. If it's rocky, 
you want to start testing certain things so you can fill those holes in and make sure that everything goes smoothly. And that's really how we create that win-win is ask those questions about what's going on internally. Well, and that brings up a really good point. I mean, I think often uh, business owners, like you said, don't know that. So they don't know what it costs to acquire a customer. They might not know the lifetime value of a customer or the next yep. question is, so, you know, who is your audience? And it's like, well, I, everybody it's like, okay, that's a problem. I can't market it. I, I can't market to everybody. Let's, let's dial, you know, I work with a clothing store and it's like, oh, everyone's my customer. It's like, yeah, I was in your store, you know, before I met you and I noticed your scarves are in like the $1,500 to $2,000 <laughs> range. I'm thinking not everybody's your customer and we can probably dial that mm-hmm. in a bit. So as a business owner or entrepreneur for our listeners, I mean, the more information that you can share with your agencies and your partners, the better results you'll get. I mean, I think the expectation is, well, you're the marketing guy, you figure it all out. Yeah, no, that's, that is what you just said is that like we've had, and we've made mistakes too, you know, obviously everybody does where you rush into it and then you find out like, oh man, like how do I get out of this? <laughs> like I gotta run out of here and really you learn from that. But I like to just, you know, flip it out whenever I'm talking it's like, yeah, you don't have to come hire bad rhino. We'd love to talk to you if it's a right fit. Yeah, we'll, we'll go. But at the same time, it's like I find sometimes people in or entrepreneurs, business owners, where they're in marketing uh, departments and, you know, larger organizations, and they just find the agency to be a, a necessary evil, a problem, whatever it is. And then they do turn around and flip agencies all the time. And it goes back to what we were talking about even a few minutes ago is making sure that they're delivering on what you want and then auditing that process but it really starts up front you know and just saying all these pieces of information need to go and it's not going to be that simple band-aid where the agency just comes in and can fix all of it many times when you walk in there it's just like okay we didn't do our due diligence and that's part's like tough you know you have to make sure that you're there and i'm all about talking about how a business owner and those people that I just mentioned, you know, whether in the marketing department, et cetera, that they can actually choose the right agency because too many people knock what agencies do because they're like, oh, they're just doing this and they charge us a lot of money, you know, and that's really what it comes down to. And there are people out there that can't deliver, but if you slow that process down, you can get that right fit and create that win-win. Well, and I think maybe a, a good, you know, a good analogy would be compare it to, to sports. Like how do you, how do you get in shape? Like you didn't get your golf game up the very first time you went out and played, you know, you've got to be in certain physical shape and you practice. So how does a business owner or an entrepreneur get into shape for an agency? So, you know, what sort of, what sort of information would you say would be ideal for our listeners to say, good, I can put this together. Now I've kind of got some of my ducks in a row on a, on a one page. What is, what needs to be on that page to, to be a, you know, a good um, exploration document to, to talk to someone like yourself? You very simply just analyze your best clients and see how they came through your doors. That just start right there. Like we have 10 really good clients and that's who we really like, right? As a business owner or customers or shoppers, whatever you want to label them. And they fall into these categories. And like everybody talks about, oh, you got to create the avatar. You don't have to get that complex. Just think about that. Like the average person comes into our store and spends $1,500 per sale. They, we love them. If we can get more of those people, that's who we want. The second person is they spend about $400, but they spend $400 per purchase but they also make more. 
more purchases than the $1,500 person. Sure. So bringing those people in and looking at that, then figuring out, well, how much am I making on there? How much per sale am I making? And stop right there. And that's all you really need to start off with. Well, and that makes sense. I've often told people I like to take the lazy approach to marketing. So tell me who your very best customers are, the ones that you love to work with that are the most profitable customers. And let's just go find more people that look exactly like them and forget about everybody else. I mean, who wants the the, 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 the complainer customer or the customer who refunds or the customer who's always grinding for price? Let's just find people who love you, like your brand, like to do business with you, pay you quickly, pay you well. Yep. Perfect. And then start assigning costs to it. And that's how you start that whole process. So in terms of the the type of work that you do, how do you guys attract the types of clients that you work with? Because, you know, looking at your bio and your background, you know, looking at uh, a headline saying the secrets to golf and crap beer marketing and looking at your podcast <laughs> and your book about uh, with regards to beer, you've obviously picked a, a niche that works well for you guys. Um, it looks like you mm-hmm. you have fun. So just a, just a shout out for Marty. He's got a book called Great Beer Is Not Enough. Yeah. So how do you design your business around the clients that you work with? It's so funny. It's a great question too. And it, one of those things that doesn't happen overnight. So like I said, I've been doing this for 17 years in one way, shape or form. And in doing that, it gets boring, you know? Yep. Digital marketing is not sexy. People think it is, but it's blocking and tackling. So we want to make sure that I had industries that I had a lot of interest in, craft beer and golf, right? (laughs) And I stumbled into it. I was speaking at an event and this gentleman in the back of the room kept asking me like a million questions and I couldn't see it was like theater style. So we were on stage and it was all lit up and the, the crowd was dark and it just so happened to be an owner of one of the largest breweries, um, not only in Pennsylvania, but at the time in the country. And, you know, two weeks later, I'm there in their brewery in their offices. And a week after that, we signed a contract and we started working with them and it was awesome. And it was just like, it reinvigorated me in doing the stuff that I was doing at the time. I'm not as much hands-on now in the agency as I was, but I'm more head of sales and CEO type position. My team's way smarter than me anyway. So that works out. But what it gave me was like a shot in the arm and it was like, Ooh, let me think about this. Like what else can I do to bring this in here where I'll talk about golf for hours upon hours, talk about craft beer and trying different things and the way to brand it and the way to attract new people. And I'm like, Oh, this is pretty cool. So we started working with them and we worked with them for about a year, a little bit more than that. And at that time I paused and I was like, how do I get more clients like this? Right. Sure. And the book, the podcast, doing interviews like this and speaking has been, you know, the main way that we've gone about it. And it's also approaching it. Like you can't just walk into a golf world or craft beer and be like, Oh yeah, we're the experts hire us. Right. You have to kind of pay your dues in those things. Right. We had great case studies on both. But at the same time, you have to volunteer in some of the organizations and educate them. Again, going back to the main, one of the main things that we do at Bad Rhino is educate and make sure that people are walking away with a really good experience and they know a little bit more. And that's the way we approached it. And then, yeah, I mean, we have all the, you know, PPC and content ads and all that jazz, but most of it has been, you know, old school type networking and give before you get. 
I think that's great because, you know, so often the business owners are, are afraid to niche down because they're, they're afraid of what they're going to miss, the FOMO. If I, if I niche down, I'm going to miss this, or I'm going to miss that. And you've clearly said, hey, you know, I love beer and golf. I like working in that sector. Um, that's great. My experience, most of my experience is in financial services, working with venture capital companies and companies that want to raise money. I love that space. I love all the language around it. And so I focus there. Do I miss other stuff? Sure, I do. Uh, would I love to work with a brewery? Yes, because I like beer, but it's just as simple for me to go down and have a few beers and, and not, I don't have to have them as a client to enjoy the product. Yeah. And I think the other side of it is that that's a part of our business, right? That's not the yeah. whole thing. And I think, I mean, I can make the argument both ways, the niche down or not. And if I look at how we started, you know, I have, like, when I look at our client roster, you know, I have a... Italian, a special, specially Italian food uh, maker and seller. And I have a custom bra shop. I have the craft beer, golf, all that. We have had large pharmaceutical companies that are, you know, Fortune 500 giant, you know, companies. We've had a whole wide variety from the restaurant up the street, you know, all the way to Major League Baseball players to the PGA. I mean, I look at it and I'm like, this is crazy, but how it started, and I think it's important for any business, is that you do good work and people refer you. That's how I wound up with a custom bra shop. I mean, at the time we got that, it was just me and my business partner. Neither of us know much about bras, but we know how to market. And we just you know, went from there. And yeah. it was a referral upon a referral upon a referral. And that happens when you do good work. And it's hard when somebody is sitting there going, you just need to hire these guys. They can do that for you. They can handle this. They can do whatever. And it's really hard to turn down that type of business and say, oh, no, we just do craft beer and golf, right? Sure, I sure. For anybody, uh, yeah, I was thinking you have the a foundation. Yeah, you know? I was thinking the other side of, of reaching everyone. Sure, you take the referrals for sure. But in terms of trying to market to the world, it's great to get those referrals, like you said, and you're not going to say no if it's a good fit. Right. When you market to everybody, you get nothing. Yeah. But when you're very direct, that would absolutely works. But you also wind up getting quite a bit when your uh, portfolio is wide and varied. Well, I remember getting a referral from an agency. So it was an agency I was buying media from in New York, in the Manhattan area. And they gave me a referral to a tobacco company. And I'm thinking, so I'm a small agency in Vancouver, Canada, and I get a referral from a media buy, a guy I'm buying media from. I mean, is there no other agencies in Manhattan? Right. The, the, the mecca for for agencies, and 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 we get the call, and you know, tobacco obviously doesn't fit into my niche of financial, but like you said, it was a great opportunity. We could serve, we could fix the problem they had, and and so yeah, we took the referral, and it was good business. Have I worked for any other tobacco companies since? No. Have I looked for them? No. Um, if the referral came along again would I consider it yep yeah yeah it's very interesting and it's uh always funny because it's hard when you know things are good you don't really think about that you just like oh yeah well maybe we'll explore that maybe we won't when things are bad you're like dying for any lead whatsoever sometimes not so much now but when you're first starting out and then you can get caught up in you know, being in that circle and people are just referring you and it's like outside of your scope, but it winds up being good relationship building as well as being good for your agency or business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I tell people, you know, that when I started my business, I would take anybody who could fog a mirror and write a check. <laughs> and 
and then everyone's been there. And then eventually you go, that's not good for business. It's not good for my, yeah. my mental capacity. And then you start saying, setting some ground rules. No, you can't phone me on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unless, unless you, one of your, your staff and your truck drivers has driven over somebody and it's on TV, don't phone me because nothing's that important for your lead gen program to call me on the weekend. So you set some boundaries and grow. Absolutely. So in terms of marketing, kind of the space we're in today, like you said, it's evolving. Um, I, I think it seems to be evolving daily. What's some of the bad advice you hear when you're out at conferences speaking and you're, and you're just kind of <laughs> listening to the crowd? So I, I say this all the time. I say if I would pitch my clients on their ideas for marketing, I said we would have been out of business years ago, right? And because it's like the silliest stuff that you hear – and it's because from stage or from a course or from some marketing hook that someone says, oh, yeah, I can easily get you just using a simple example, you know, a thousand Instagram followers in the next like seven to 10 days that are highly targeted to this, this and this. And it plants a seed that is good for marketing to get somebody to go to a conference or buy a book or, you know, buy a product that is just educational in some way, shape or form. But it plants those seeds that people are just like, this is easy. So like one of the worst things I ever saw uh, were people talking about how to get, you know, things to quote unquote, go viral. (laughs) Now, you and I both know, um, I'm assuming that, you know, the majority of stuff that goes viral from a business standpoint is usually has a ton of paid media behind it, right? That you don't know, but it just happens to be, you know, pushed out that way. Yeah. And people talk about that and they're like, well, we just need this to kind of go viral. And I just cringe. I'm like, people like, whoa, slow down. And you hear it in the crowd. You hear it like, oh, that's going to be a good idea. We could probably get this to work. One of the worst things I ever saw and heard was like, you know, tweet at somebody like Shaq, right? So Shaquille O'Neal and let's do it during the NBA finals and he'll retweet it and stuff will go crazy. And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> do, you, do you understand like Shaquille O'Neal probably barely handles his Twitter account if he does at all. Yeah. Most of those people have people that do that for them. And then number two, like what makes you think that that's just going to fly? Like it's going to and change your business overnight. And those like some people really do think that. And I'm not talking about like small business owners with a dream. I'm talking like I've heard it in like boardrooms of Fortune 500 companies. And I'm like, where are you people coming up with these ideas? And I think that's a cautionary thing when anybody's talking to somebody on podcasts or from stage is you just have to really treat it like normal. Like tell people like, hey, this takes a little bit of time. There's certain things that'll catch on faster than others. But some of the worst stuff I've ever heard has been around going viral. And it's just like, it's not going to happen. You don't understand how this works. And I've been around for a while. And all the stuff that I know that was went viral, like that Chewbacca mask woman a few years ago, when you really unpack it, you're like, oh, it was only available at one store. Then it was like, oh, a bunch of people did this all at once. And then you're like, oh, funny video. But when you really look at it, somebody had a plan to do that. And it's very fascinating when people drop the word viral in any way, shape or form. Well, and just the the idea that you can create something viral is it, it goes against the definition of what viral is. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, there's tons of funny stuff that goes viral and, and it's not really leading the business. It's just pop culture and stuff like that. That's different. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things that people think are going to bring them business in a marketing sense. 
Well, and one of the guys I, I like on social because he produces a lot of content and I, I like his content and his style is Neil Patel. Yeah. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you remember um, or you saw his campaign back a year or two ago when there were all these paid, I'm assuming they were paid posts and they, they all had the same sign, who is Neil Patel? Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't figure out how that was going to drive business, but they were def- there are all these paid influencers on, on, on Instagram posting these. I thought it was the weirdest campaign I'd seen, but you know, it wasn't a viral campaign. You know, they all had the same sign, had the same question. So the chance of, of, you know, a whole bunch of Instagram creators creating the same content and sharing it was, is highly unlikely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always usually coordinated. So on that topic, what do you see, or, or do you guys do anything in the in the paid space, the paid influencer space, where you'll you'll have a celebrity that'll come alongside your brand? Oh, Doug, you're asking me the question. You open the door. <laughs> yeah. So if you catch me on one day, I'm all about influencer marketing. <laughs> so you where are you today? Another day. Today I'm I'm right in the middle, um, which is normally not where I'm at. But okay, well that's not going to help us. So <clears throat> yeah. So. Again, going back to having a plan and understanding how it's going to work, that's really what you need to understand about influencers. I can make the argument that if you have the money, spend it on a big one. So if you have, you know, unlimited funds, spend it on a big one. However, you might want to take instead of getting, you know, quote unquote, Kim Kardashian or something to that level, you might want to take a different approach. And I think this works out better across the board and using that Neil Patel type thing is actually how it works is like you get, say, you take that, you know, $100,000 budget or whatever it might be. And you say, we're going to take 50 and it's going to be our main person. But then the other 50 is we're going to get as many people as possible to hold our product up and put it on Instagram and other channels, et cetera. And we're going to write the content and we're going to give it to them and we'll pay all their fees and we want them all to drop it on a certain date. You know, yeah. I think as weird as that Fry, um, was it Fry Festival or Fire Festival, or whatever that thing where that guy went to jail a few years ago, when you look at that marketing plan and I watched the documentary and the agency owner, you know, he was crushed because what they did was brilliant, you know, and it really worked. Like everybody was like, what is this? Like where, what is going on? What is this event? Whatever it was. And I remember when it dropped and it was so fascinating and you take that type of plan. Now don't rip people off and fraud, you know, go commit a bunch of fraud. But if you take that type of plan and look at it, how it would fit into your business and using like that Neil Patel type example, where it's very simple, those things have some power and, but you have to have a plan. You have to understand when you're going to drop a bigger influencer into that plan and how it's all coordinated so that you are able to measure it. And you also know exactly where those sales come from and how they came into your organization, whatever you're selling. And I think that's the biggest thing with influencer marketing. When I get people and they're jaded about it, all they didn't do was track it. And they thought like, it doesn't matter if we track it because it'll just be a windfall of sales. And then maybe they did get some of the sales, but they've attributed just to the influencer because that was what they were doing at that time. And it didn't come through that. And it was a combination of things. So I think influencer marketing, just to sum it up, I think it's valuable in certain ways, but people approach it like a panacea, like it's going to solve the whole issue. That's the holy grail. Pull this The holy grail, right? It's like, oh, if they hold the product up. Yeah. I love micro influencers. Give me somebody that has 500 
listeners to their podcast and they have an email open rate of like 75%. And those 500 people listen to this person because they really enjoy the content and they really enjoy what that person has to say. I would rather sponsor something on their podcast or something like that as an influencer where I know those 500 people are really going to actually say, oh, wow, he recommends this product or service. I'm going to check it out and I might even buy it because those are more powerful at times, especially in small to mid-sized companies than trying to go and get a celebrity to endorse your product. Yeah, I think so. And the other side to it is, like you said, attributing your sales where the sales come from is I don't I, I don't count on the influencer doing all the heavy lifting. Sometimes it's using their their name, their brand, their voice and sending it out to our existing audience that hasn't converted to to move them over that that threshold to say yes. Absolutely. So so a couple of questions I'll let you go back to your uh, to serving your clients and helping them make some money. Um, there we go. There's one guest I absolutely have to have on my podcast. Uh, Justin Christensen. He runs Conversion Fanatics down in Austin, Texas. Yeah, I've um, had him on. He's an awesome guy. Oh, you did? Guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like him. He's a great guy. All right. Well, then we'll go down to the, the next two. I'll give you two more since you know Justin. Justin, this is like a mini commercial. Great guy. One of the smartest guys I, I, I've ever met in marketing and I've known him for years. Great guy. Jason Swank would be another one. Okay. And then Ian Garlic down in Orlando, Florida runs a video uh, marketing agency. That'd be amazing. Are you able to make an introduction for me? Yes. That'd be great. Now, most important question of the day, how can people contact you, learn more about you and just check you out and say, hey, are these guys the right guys they should be talking to? Absolutely. Um, so you can find us at badrhinoinc.com. So B-A-D-R-H-I-N-O-I-N-C.com. Um, if you have any specific questions about anything I said, I do this for any podcast interview that I do. Just email uh, us at info. So I-N-F-O at badrhinoinc.com. Somebody will get back to you. And if you're interested in anything that we have on our website, case studies, et cetera, feel, please just fire off an email. We'll get back to you and mention Doug's podcast. Excellent. Hey, thanks so much. And I just want to share a quick tip with you. I had uh, Christopher Lockhead on my podcast and and um, I, I'm going to rip off his email idea. His is black hole at. Oh, yeah. I went, that, that's a good idea. I bet that cuts down the number of people who email. And he said, yeah, it's a little bit. <laughs> that's awesome. So thanks so much, Marty. Hey, thank you, Doug. I appreciate the time. And uh, yeah, it was great you know, talking with you. Love the conversation. Uh, happy to carry on the conversation again. So there you go. There's, there's another uh, point of view. There's, uh, you know, I think some great information from a fellow marketer, someone who's got tons of experience in the marketing space, been doing it for a long time, having some success, success with their clients. And I hope what you picked up was this is not an overnight thing. It takes time. You need to get the right fit, work with the right people, uh, look at the metrics. But more importantly, get your house in order before you have the conversation to help your agency and or your partners and vendors um, help you to be more successful. It starts with you. So thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to serving you on our next episode. That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting dougmorneau.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode. That's dougmorneau.com. Until next time, we look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.